Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Winter is here, and it's supposed to turn this week, and it starts to get really cold. And the problem with winter is colds. It seems like there's all kinds of cold viruses that are around, and everybody is getting sick all the time. Isn't that true? That's what happens in the winter. In fact, I did a little research. I discovered that the average preschooler will come down with nine colds this winter. Now, you think that we're better because we're adults? Statistically, we're not much better. We just happen to handle our cold better. We come down with it on the average of seven colds a year. Now, I was interested to see what I could do to avoid getting the cold. So uh, I uh, did a little research online, and they say there is one way, one thing we can do to avoid getting the cold. Do you know what it is? Okay. Now I'm just going to tell you right up front, it's to die. It's true. They say there is nothing you can do to avoid getting the cold virus. I mean, you could do as many elbow bumps instead of handshakes as you want. You could have like big bottles of hand sanitizer you take with you all the time. You could avoid touching your eyes and your nose from November all the way through June, and you're still going to come down with it. That's because the cold virus is everywhere, and it's on everything. It's on the handles of the doors that you touched when you came in this morning. The cold virus is on the coffee cup that somebody gave you. The cold virus is on your keyboard that you type all your little Facebook and instant message and your Snapchat stuff on. The cold virus is on your phone that you put on the side of your face. Yuck! And it's even been documented on church pew Bibles. The cold virus can be found there. So no matter what you do, let's just face it. This winter, you're going to get sick. You're going to have a cold. Now this morning, we're talking about another sickness. Something that uh, you and I are going to come down with. In fact, we already have, simply by virtue of being alive. There's no way we can avoid it. And that's called the disease of sin. You see, sin is everywhere, and it involves everything. No matter how careful you are in, in what you look at on the Internet or what you watch on television or the, the music you listen to, no matter how careful you are about the friends that you associate with so they don't lead you towards temptation, no matter what, we're going to sin. And we're going to be touched by sin and influenced by sin. In fact, sin is alive and well and living in our heart. Because you don't even have to do anything and all of a sudden, <laughs> lustful thoughts just pop into your mind without even asking for it. Christmas, they're telling you all the stuff you have to buy and all of a sudden you are coveting your neighbor's stuff. In fact, you didn't even know you needed the stuff in November. Now you can't get your mind off it. Sin is everywhere. It's in everything. It seems like there is absolutely no way to get away from it. And interestingly, 
tough circumstances, they really bring out sin, don't they? When all of a sudden we're financially strapped or we're emotionally fatigued, we're tired, we're frustrated, we transform, don't we? We transform from little angels to big demons. All of a sudden, we're always telling everybody we're such nice people, and all of a sudden we're angry, we're mean, we're vicious, we're saying things to our spouse and to our children that we normally would not say, but under tough circumstances, our sinfulness rears its ugly head. Now, some of you will sit there and say, well, the only reason I act that way is because I was tired, I was irritable and fatigued. Well, I've got news for you. The circumstances you faced in your life did not put sin in you. The circumstances in your life just revealed the sin that was already inside. Isn't that true? Circumstances just reveal how sick we actually are with the disease of sin. They don't make us sick. Incidentally, this is why I love Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ when he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, when he was tormented, when the Bible says in Isaiah that he was beaten to the point where you couldn't even recognize him as a human being, and then he was put up on the cross to die the most excruciating and agonizing death that had been conceived of by man. In all of this, it says Jesus did not sin. The painful circumstances he faced revealed the purity of his heart. Or the painful circumstances we face often just reveals the wickedness and the sin sickness of our heart. Circumstances just reveal the sickness of our sin. This morning, we're going to learn about sin. And we're going to learn about what to do about it, both in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times. In preparation for Christmas, Pastor Jordan in the Spencer campus and myself here on the Spirit Lake campus, we are team teaching through a small series called Christmas from Leviticus. And this series is, we're just looking at the different offerings that God commanded His people in the Old Testament to offer in the first few chapters of Leviticus. We looked at the burnt offering in the first week, which is about making a commitment, total commitment to God. And it was about atoning for our sin. Then we looked at the grain offering, which is about thanking God for meeting our daily needs. And last week, we looked at the fellowship, or oftentimes called the peace offering, which is essentially the party offering. It is celebrating God's goodness. It's having a party and celebrating how good God has been to you in your life in a specific area, in a specific way. This morning, we go to the sin offering. What does the Bible teach us about the sin offering and how to take care of this constant recurring problem of sin in our life? And I just have to warn you up front, by the way, that many of you will not like this message. Many of you will get very depressed as I talk because you came in this morning thinking about yourself as basically a good person with maybe a few flaws. And as we start to look at the sin offering, and we look at sinfulness in Scripture, you're going to realize that you are a desperately sick person in a desperate situation. And just like getting rid of the cold virus, 
that the only way to get rid of the constant sin in our life is to die. Or maybe, should we say, have somebody die in our place. Let's go ahead and look at what we learn here in the scriptural text. Take out your outlines. I want everybody to follow along. Take notes as we go. We're right on the top. It says here, what is sin? If we're going to look at the sin offering, we better understand what sin is to begin with. Here's a couple things you need to know. Sin is any time we don't follow God's revealed will. What God says in His Word is right and wrong any time. We're not following it. We're in sin. Number two, sin is any rejection of God's Word and thinking that I know better. You ever have those things? You read God's Word, you know what it says, and you go, well, I know it says that I should have sexual purity, but my circumstance is different. We're really in love. And what you do is you say, God, here's what you say, and here's what I say, but I know better. I'm going to, actually, I know, I know better. I'm going to put myself above you. That's sin. Number three, sin is any rebellion against God's authority. It's anytime we say, God, I know what you say, but I want to rebel. Go in the opposite direction. Now, sin originally is an archery term. Uh, if you are dead smack center on the bullseye, you're fine. But anytime you are off the center dot on the bullseye, you are in sin. It doesn't mean if you are off by one ring or four rings or even if you totally shot at the squirrel on the side of the room instead of the target. All of it is sin. Anytime you are off dead center of the target of absolutely what is right, you are in sin. That is technically what it says. Uh, sin, by the way, also was described as a... Um, it meant for a boat to drift. Well, let me skip that. Hold on. I'm not going to go into that yet. Anytime you are off center. Now, you could have, like I said, intentionally shot at the squirrel on the side of the room instead of the target, or there could have just been a gust of wind. You could have had a twitch in your finger, something you didn't necessarily choose to do. It just sort of happened when you're shooting at the target, and now you're off. But you are still in sin, whether you intentionally or unintentionally chose to do it. And once you realize that, you start to get uncomfortable. Because we usually just think of sin as something we intentionally chose consciously to rebel against. The Scripture says no. Sin is much wider in definition and much more pervasive in our identity. Next question. What is the difference between the sin offering and the guilt offering? Well, the sin offering is what we're going to study this week. The guilt offering is what we're going to study next week. And why this is not a hard and fast rule, this is a good way to understand the difference. The sin offering has to do primarily when we have a broken relationship between us and God. It is vertical in nature. The guilt offering is more horizontal in nature. It has to do not just when we have a broken relationship with God, but now we have broken it with somebody else and we have something to restore, something to fix, not just with God, but with people. So, if you are somebody who is going through a broken relationship, and you're looking to how to restore those broken relationships, next week is where you want to be. Because next week when we look at the guilt offering, it's all about restoring horizontal relationships, not just vertical. This morning, we are focusing on the sin offering. 
Like I said, it was more up and down. Let's jump right into this, and we'll see the question is here, what is the difference between unintentional and intentional sin? We find that right away in the first two verses of our text this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commands about the things not to be done, and does any one of them, Remember I told you, sin is any time you are off the mark, whether you chose to be off the mark in your life or whether you just happened to get hit with a breeze or you happened to get hit with a twitch in your finger. There is such a thing as unintentional sin. The point here is this. Unintentional sin is sin of error or sin of ignorance. I didn't know it was wrong. Or I just made an error in my calculations. Either way, you're still in sin. This is what the Hebrew word means here. It means unintentional sin literally means for a boat to drift. You guys have ever happened to you in, on the lake here? Where you anchor your boat, you're sitting on the boat, you're in the back, you're having tea, or you're below deck doing things, and you come up out of your boat and you find you are no longer in your slip. But you are halfway across the lake. You are about ready to hit the rocks. And you're like, whoa, where did this come from? Well, that's unintentional sin. That's literally what the description is. You just sort of drifted into it. No conscious, premeditated choice on your part. For instance, this can happen when you're out in traffic. You guys ever have this deal where you're driving along and you and your spouse are having one of those discussions back and forth or you're trying to keep the kids in line in the back seat and you know how that goes? And you're not necessarily watching all the signs and the signs go from 40 down to 30, down to 25, but you haven't seen any of them and you're still doing 40, and all of a sudden you see the cherries and the rearview mirror and the red and the blue, and he pulls you over, and he says, you know how fast you were going? It's like, well, well, I don't know. I was just doing the speed limit. He says, did you miss those speed limit signs? Oop, I'm sorry. I just didn't see them change. Now, is he going to give you a ticket? He has every right to give you a ticket because you are still violating the law even out of ignorance, same thing. We can violate God's law out of ignorance. We're still guilty. It's what's called unintentional sin. And this whole sin offering that we're going to talk about this morning is only good for unintentional sin. It's when you happen to be doing something wrong that you didn't realize you were doing something wrong, either because you just didn't know it or you did it in ignorance. Then your mind instantly says, well, wait a minute, I came in here this morning thinking that really the only thing that was sinful was intentional sin. Like when I knew what is right, I knew what is wrong, and I just chose to do what is wrong, well, what about intentional sin? And I have some interesting news for you. Uh, intentional sin is sin that we consciously choose. That's what the fill in the blank is. Here's the deal. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, there is no offering that someone can offer for forgiveness of intentional sin. There's nothing. You're stuck. 
you choose to rebel, it's a bad, bad situation. Uh, let me go ahead and, and show you what the Scriptures say about intentional sin. By the top of page 2 is there was no sacrifice for intentional sin. And we read in Numbers 15, 30-31, but the person who does anything with a high hand that is intentional, uh, whether he is a native or a sojourner, he reviles the Lord. That person shall be cut off from among his people because he's despised the Word of God and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Wow. Harsh stuff. Any intentional sin meant you were cut off completely from God's people. There is no sacrifice you could offer to be restored in your relationship with God. I told you you were going to be depressed. Now, there was a little bit of hope out there in the Old Testament sacrificial system. There's two pieces. One is Leviticus 16. It's called the Day of Atonement. And we're going to talk a little bit about this on Christmas Eve. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. And it describes when the high priest went into the actual Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and brought blood in there. And what essentially happened is there like a reset switch that happened when blood was brought onto the Ark of the Covenant and everybody had their sins forgiven, you know, who are participating in that, whether that was unintentional or intentional. But what happens if you made intentional sin like two days after the Day of Atonement? You've got a long time to wait when you're cut off from the people. And remember, there is nothing you can do it was only something the priest could do for you once a year. It's a pretty bad, pretty desperate situation for any intentional sin in the Old Testament. There is one other option. We see this with David and Bathsheba, and that is simply to cast yourself on the mercies of God. Like, I am hopeless, I am helpless, God, I don't know what to do, you have to come to the rescue. In fact, we see this in David's sin with Bathsheba. Remember, he consciously chose to have an adulterous affair with her. Then he consciously chose to bump off her husband, Uriah. And then he rode into her life and as if to say, look, I'm the big hero who's going to marry the pregnant woman. But it was all a sham. It was a conscious lie. And he eventually comes clean on it. Look what he says in Psalm 51. Knowing what we know, listen to this. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. Like, there is no sacrifice to cover for this sin. You would not be pleased in a burnt offering, which we know is the most costly and lavish offering out there. I've got no sacrifices to give. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise." God, I am broken, and I am casting myself on your mercies because I have no offering I can give for this sin. That's the only hopes you have in the Old Testament. Very depressing way to try and deal with the intentional sin, which is a lot of times the sin that we're guilty of. Well, this morning, 
we're going to continue to look at the sin offering. And remember, this is only for unintentional sin, only for errors or mistakes. There are actually six different versions of this offering. Now, we would like to think that these different versions of the offering would obviously be gradated based on the seriousness of the unintentional sin that is done. I mean, sometimes we do a small unintentional sin. We jaywalk. Sometimes we do a big unintentional sin. And so you'd think it would require a more severe offering to atone for it. That's not the way this is organized. Very interesting. This is organized that the seriousness of the atonement needed for the sin is based on the importance and the prominence of the sinner. Let me say it again. The serious of the seriousness of the atonement for the sin is based upon the importance and the prominence of the sinner. In other words, if you are a very influential person in society, you're a leader of leaders, you're a leader of other people, you have a more costly means of atonement for your sin than somebody who doesn't have anybody else over them in society. And there's six levels here. I'm going to walk through them and you'll see how this breaks apart. The first level starts with the priest. And we find that the priest, that his unintentional sin is the most serious sin out there. And it requires the most expensive offering to fix. It begins, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commands about things not to be done, and does any one of them, if the anointed priest, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and lay his hand on the head of the bull, and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offerings that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it. The kidneys with the fat that is on them and the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offerings. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a, pla to a clean place, to the ash heap. He shall burn it on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. All right. If you have been around for earlier parts of this series, Part of that, I'm sure, made sense of you. If you're somebody who's new, you're going, I'm clueless. So let me see if I can explain this to you. We have the priest, 
And we see, first of all, that this is the anointed priest. Some people think that this is the high priest, or it may just be any priest. It's the priest who is serving in the temple. He's one of these guys. And he sins in any one of the ways that God has said not to do. I don't know what he has done. Maybe he totally messed up one of the ceremonies. Maybe he was walking in public and he stubbed his toe and he said something very unpriestlike in the pain. I don't know what he did. But what we learn at the very beginning is his unintentional sin didn't just touch his life. Did you notice what it said? It brought guilt on the people. The priest who was a leader, spiritual leader, and represented over the people, his unintentional sin affects other people, those people who are under him, those people who work with him, those people he is serving. And the application becomes very clear for us immediately. Pastors, teachers, elders, any spiritual leader in God's church today, when they sin, even if they sin unintentionally, does that sin just influence them? No. It brings guilt on the people that they are over, the people that they are supposed to be serving. It becomes very clear that what is of paramount importance for any spiritual leader in the church is the holiness and the purity of their life. There is no way their sin can be kept confined into their world. It will influence others, even if it's unintentional sin. Very important to understand. The next thing you need to notice is what does this guy have to offer for his unintentional sin? A bull. Now, if you have been around for earlier in this series, you know that the bull of the herd is the most costly and the most expensive um, animal that is offered in the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. So, is his unintentional sin costly to atone for and to fix? Yes, the most expensive sacrifice out there. Number two, his sin doesn't just touch him, doesn't just touch the people. It is not just expensive, but it touches God's own house. Let me explain this, and then I'll ask for a moment so you can, don't put it up yet, but let me explain it. What he was to do was to take the blood of that bull after he had slit its throat, bring some of that blood into the tabernacle, right up to the veil, right before the Holy of Holies where God was said to dwell, where God's priests only went in one time a year on the Day of Atonement. As close to God as he could, he put his finger in it and he sprinkled it seven times. Seven represents completeness and perfection in, in, in the Bible. That's why it's seven times. And then he takes some of that blood and he puts it on the horns of the altar of incense. And if you've been uh, with us through earlier in the series, you'll know that there are uh, two different altars going on here. 
There is the altar of burnt offerings, which I'll show you in a moment. The altar of incense is the piece of furniture in the tabernacle that is closest to God's dwelling place. You cannot get any closer in the furniture department in there than the altar of incense. And the priest went in there in the morning and the evening and put incense on there to burn it to represent the prayers of God's people rising up to God. He has to atone for his sin by putting blood on that altar because what has happened is his sin has polluted God's own house. And when a pastor or an elder or a leader sins, even unintentionally, it doesn't just pollute God's people and bring guilt on God's people, but pollutes God's own house is what we find. Let me show you how this would come together. Go ahead and put that up, Jeremy. Thank you. This is a mock-up, sort of what the Old Testament tabernacle may have looked like. You can see there, you've got the guy with his bull, you know, and he's going to put his hand on the head of the bull and confess his sins on the, onto the bull and then slit the bull's throat so the bull figuratively dies for his sins. And you can see the big altar of burnt offering in the center. All the other sacrifices that we have talked about in the previous weeks were offered on that big, huge altar in the center, the altar of burnt offerings. And you can see the tables where they did the butchering of the animals. Now, if you go, you can see on the left-hand side the tabernacle, which is the tent. Go ahead and zoom in on that. Thanks. Um, You can see about one-third of it. The back one-third is the Holy of Holies, which is where the priest only goes into once a year on the Day of Atonement. But you have about two-thirds of it. You have some candelabra. You have a couple other things. And then you have right in front of the curtain where they go in is the altar of incense that we talked about. So the idea is his unintentional sin penetrated all of the tabernacle right up to the very presence of God. And that's where it needed to be atoned for. So like I said to you, it is very important that the spiritual lives of God's leaders are characterized by holiness. In fact, what does James say? James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I'll just be honest, I'm studying this week going, oh man, how did I end up in this job? I'd rather be in the pew. Because this is the truth. The purity of God's leaders is essentially very, very important. How did the offering finish? Well, the rest of the blood they brought out and they poured it out of the altar of, bait, the altar of burnt offerings. They butchered up the, uh, the bull. And we learned this last week that the uh, fat and the kidney and the liver, why did they choose those and put those on the altar of burnt offering? We learned last week that the fat was the best part of the animal because that's what tastes good, doesn't it? Anybody like fat is what makes meat taste good. Can I get Amen. Yeah, you get that really lean stuff like venison, doesn't taste as good as when you get some fat in it. So God gets the the best part, the fat part. Why the liver and kidneys? We learned last week that in the ancient world, the liver and kidneys were considered the seat of emotions. Today, we say, I love you with all of my heart, because the heart is the seat of our emotions. That's the way we talk about it. In uh, that day, they would say, I love you with all of my kidneys. 
Now, try that this week, guys, with your wife. You know, it may not go over well, but she'll understand and at least get a chuckle. Say, I love you with all of my kidneys. It's their way of saying, I love you with all of my heart. So the liver and the kidneys were the parts that went on the altar, saying, God, you get the best, and I love you with my heart. I'm looking to you with my best. The rest of the animal went outside of the, the tabernacle and was burned up, and nobody benefited from this because it was a sin offering. So, this is the most serious of the sin offerings, but then it ratchets down to one that requires the same level of atonement, but it's something that we wouldn't normally think about. What happens if the community sins? If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull where they confess the sin unto the bull. Uh, before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. When we think of sin, we almost always think of sin as an individual matter, something that I chose to do. And when we've expanded our definition of sin, maybe it's something I unintentionally chose to do that is sin. But now our definition of sin expands even wider. Because sin can be community-wide sin that an entire community or an entire nation may have chosen to do, even unintentionally chosen to do. And there's this collective guilt of the nation that has to be atoned for. Maybe you can think of it this way in our society. I assume most of us here uh, have not had an abortion. I assume most of us here are not for abortion, but in our nation, abortion is legal. And guess what? We bear, by being Americans, some of the collective guilt of our nation for that sin. It's true. Now, we don't like that. If our president chooses to go to war against ISIS at some point, we, as a participants in the nation, will um, be in it for good or for ill. Your health care costs. Did anybody's health care costs go up this year? You voted for it, right? You personally chose it, right? Absolutely not. But because we're all part of the nation, it's just sort of what happens. We have to bear that. And what we find out here is that... Um, in communities and nations, there is sin issues, and they have to be atoned for, and they're very serious. Like, you have to do a bull for this, like the most costly one, and the elders put their hands on it, and I didn't read all the details on this. I cut it short, but what happens is they also have to go right into the tabernacle. They also have to do sprinkling seven times with their finger, and the idea of um, putting the blood on the horns of the altar of incense Community-wide sin is serious sin. Now, how do we apply this to us today? Real simple. 
Look at your prayer time. What do you pray for? What sins do you confess? If you're like me, let's just be honest and say 99% of it's personal. Isn't it true? But what we find when we go to Scripture, you find incredibly righteous people who are heartbroken, calling out to God, confessing the sins of their nation. Jeremiah, for instance. Daniel, both very righteous people who prayed and fasted, calling out to God, confessing the sins of the nation because they knew they were part of the collective guilt of being part of Israel. Same way. I, I think in your prayer time this week, I would challenge you to confess the sins of our nation and call out to God for His mercy upon us as a nation, not just for us individually. That's a great way we can apply this text. Let's continue. How does this ratchet down? It goes to a leader, and this leader here is a general leader. This is the community leader. We're talking the mayors. We're talking the police officers. We're talking just the general city officials here. And when a leader sins by doing unintentionally any one of all the things that, the, that um, by the commandments of the Lord his God has, ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt of the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male goat without blemish. He shall lay his hand on the head of the goat, once again confesses his sins unto the goat, and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offerings before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar of burnt offerings. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and he shall be forgiven." The secular leader, you can see how it's ratcheting down. We're out of a bull, we're down into a male goat, a little cheaper, and it doesn't have to, the blood doesn't have to go into the tabernacle itself. You notice that? It just goes onto the horns of the altar of burnt offering in the courtyard. It's getting less serious to atone for this sin. The one thing I took away from this section is, you know, we often think that the sins of our political leaders are some of the most devastating in our country. But I think this would be teaching us that the sins of the spiritual leaders in God's church is even more devastating than the political leaders. It's even more costly to atone for the sins of uh, uh, spiritual leaders than political leaders. Very interesting to see. Next, you go down to the common people. If any one of the common people, like you and me, sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt of the sin which he's committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish. Now we've ratcheted down from a male goat to a female goat. And I didn't put the rest of the text in there, but they say it's also possible to bring a female lamb. It's getting cheaper as we go down. Now, all of a sudden... What happens in this section of Scripture, Moses pauses. He doesn't continue down the list. He pauses and he says, well, wait a minute here. 
these unintentional sins. I didn't even intend to do it. You know, sometimes they are not just between me and God. Sometimes they start to touch other people and their life. What should we do about that? And this is what he says. What about unintentional sin that touch other people? And he gives us some examples. Like, for instance, sometimes we have the sin of keeping our mouth shut when we should have been opening it. Here's the example, Leviticus 5.1. If anyone sins and and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, in other words, a public call to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet he does not speak, uh, uh, he shall bear his iniquity. It's going along, you happen to see a crime take place. You you see what happened, or maybe you just heard through the grapevine of what happened, and there's a call to say, are there any witnesses? And what did the person go like, you know, I don't want to get involved. I'm too busy. Or if I get involved, you know, there may be some repercussions for me. There may be some kickbacks. So I'm just going to like steer clear of it. You know, I'm not doing anything wrong as long as I keep my mouth shut. And what happens is you're perverting justice by withholding the information you have. Your sin is starting to touch other people. And the way I picture this is it's not like we often have this long premeditated time in some of these things. You ever do this when you're driving down the road and you see an accident take place? It happens right sort of in front of you and you're thankful you avoided the accident. And after they're off on the side of the road and you, you see that like there's no blood or anything like that, you sort of like say, now I can get back to my appointment, and you drive right around and continue on down, not stopping to be able to talk to the cops, not stopping to necessarily be able to help. That's maybe an example of this. You know, you should have done something. You should have said something, but you missed it. Could have helped other people. Next, he gives an example of the sin of uncleanness. And by the way, this is going to be a little weird for us because we don't think about ritual uncleanness uh, but this also covers ritual uncleanness. Leviticus chapter 12 through 15 covers what ritual uncleanness looks like. So if you guys want to look at that tonight, you can learn more. But um, here's what it says. If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether it's a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of an unclean swarming thing, and it's hidden from him and he's become unclean and now he realizes his guilt or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it's hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, what is he supposed to do? Uh, maybe you can think of it this way. If you ever go to the YMCA, they have those like squirt bottles and the little wipe-down cloths. Like Sometimes, my wife always reminds me that I forget to like spray down the machine before I sit on it. Maybe there's this really like gross, sweaty guy who sat on it before me, and I just don't know it, and I happen to sit on it. You know, uh, now look at it this way: I would become unclean, probably literally unclean at that point. But if there is someone who is richly unclean and they sat on a chair, and somebody comes along and didn't realize it, and they sit on the chair, now all of a sudden they have contracted ritual uncleanness, and they are conveying ritual uncleanness to others. Their sin is starting to, their unintentional sin is now starting to touch and influence others. What are they supposed to do? Then he gives us one last example. 
we, the first one was about keeping your mouth shut when it should be open, but the last one is about keeping your mouth open when it should be shut. And if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good or any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it's hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, anybody ever utter something rash in anger? Say things you wish you could just put back in your mouth? What's amazing to me is sometimes I will say things and I don't even realize I said them. And friends or my family would say, you said such and such. And I'll say, I didn't say that. And then like all the rest of the family will say, oh, yes, you did. And in my anger, I said something rash, something hard and hurtful. When my kids were young, you guys will have this when you have little kids, they can get you so irritated and so annoyed. You're like... That does it. You are grounded for a month because you are in anger saying that. And then you realize about an hour later, you're like, okay, I'm calming down. That's an awful long time to ground my kids. Um, and you change it. Uh, we're changing it. You're grounded for the day. But in your anger, you uttered a rash oath. You opened your mouth when it stood a stage shut. In fact, when Moses was at the was at Meribah, he uttered rash oaths. And that's ultimately what kept him out of the promised land. What do you do when your words are touching and influencing others, even when you said them unintentionally? Well, here's what it says. When your sin touches others, we must confess our sin to them, not just to God. Isn't that true? When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed. Then he offers the sacrifice. This is the first time the word, <coughs> excuse me, confess appears in the Scriptures. And what it is saying is this. Whenever our sin, even when it is an unintentional sin, begins to touch other people, we don't just get down on our knees and seek forgiveness from God. We have to seek forgiveness from other people that we touched as well, even when we didn't mean it. Very practical stuff. Now, from here, it goes back to two more graduated offerings about how to get things cheaper. What if somebody can't afford a female lamb for their sin? What about if they're poor? Well, it says this. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. But what if you can't even afford that? What if you're destitute? If he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed just a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for his sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. What is tenth of an ephah of fine flour? It is enough flour to make a loaf of bread. And what becomes abundantly clear is that if you have sinned unintentionally, no matter your status in society, whether it's richness or it's leadership, or it's absolute destitute and poverty, God has provided a way to atone for to pay for your unintentional sin. Isn't God good that way? Now, you're going to wonder, 
What does any of this have to do with Jesus? What does any of this have to do with Christmas and why Jesus came? You know, I hope this morning as we went through this, you were depressed. You were frustrated. Because you walked in thinking this morning that you were a pretty good person. And uh, maybe I've done a couple intentional sins this past week. But now you realize there is no offering at all for any of your intentional sin in the Old Testament. If you were around then, you'd be stuck. Unintentional? Well, there is an offering, but it could be costly. It could be difficult. It could be hard. In fact, if it was up to me, I look at my life, I would be offering offerings for sin like multiple times a day because I'm that kind of sinful person. But thank goodness, guys. Thank goodness that Jesus came at Christmas because He came to change all of this. Look what it says in Hebrews. When He said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings or the sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then He added, behold, I have come to your, do your will. This is Jesus speaking. He does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus came at Christmas to do away with the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. So it's by our simple faith in Him that we are saved. And our sins, all of our unintentional sins, are paid for once and for all. And even our intentional sins are paid for by our faith in Him. I hope that you go home today with a huge appreciation for Jesus Christ and what He came at Christmas to do. Otherwise, we'd still be offering sacrifices for sin. And even then, only the unintentional ones that we did. A couple things to remember as you leave. One, sin is not just intentional. Unintentional sin also separates us from God. Two, the more influential your position in society, the more serious your sin. There is no way to escape that. Number three, sin is not just personal. It is community-wide. Remember that. Pray this week for forgiveness of our nation. Number four, whenever our sin touches others, we need to confess our sin to those we hurt, not just to God, even if it wasn't unintentionally done. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you today, and we just want to tell you that we realize we are much more sin-sick than we ever realized. And we thank you that we are not under this Old Testament sacrificial system, because there'd be a lot of blood in our hands. We'd be sacrificing all the time. And many of us would be uh, separated from your people. This building would be empty this morning if it were not for Jesus who died in our place for all of our sins at one time to bring us back to you, Heavenly Father. And we are saved by casting all of our faith and all of our love and devotion upon Jesus. Thank you for what you have done. We worship you today. And all God's people said... Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. 
More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.